Radical, episode 157. Welcome to Radical, ladies and gents. I'm your host, Shane Hazel. Thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, before we get started, if you love the program, you want to support it, you can go out to patreon.com slash radicalpod. I really appreciate all the patrons that have uh, come out lately. Really, really, thank you so much. You guys are helping us do bigger and better things. Obviously, uh, you've seen today uh, where uh, we were on uh, Kennedy on Fox Business, and last week we made an appearance on Tim Pool's podcast. So that is all thanks to all of you guys. If you love the show and you don't have a lot of money you can support it by going to apple uh and leaving a uh, podcast review underneath and i appreciate five stars i'll read it here on the air and if you got anything to bring to my attention you can reach me at shane at radicalpod.com uh but tonight i got a guest for you guys this is a unique uh situation i guess because i haven't been able to get anybody um with i'd say probably more liberal more progressive ideas to come on the show and uh i gotta tell you uh, tonight's guest has a lot of those and he's also from canada so uh good on him uh, from coming in from canada he is a independent journalist uh he is the uh creator of toronto99.com uh and really last second came in clutch after a last minute cancellation um his name is Mark Slabinski. Mark Slabinski, and excuse me for maybe butchering your name, but Mark, uh, welcome to Radical, sir. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so you, I, I you caught my attention on uh, on Twitter. Um, you know, there sure. was some back and forth going on with people who had tagged me in a post and all that kind of stuff, and I oh. I saw you guys going back and forth, and um, you know, it was one of those things. After a while, it's like, oh, you know, maybe I'm intrigued, and and a lot of it was. Um, you know, at least respectful. Um, and I don't think you see that enough in, in, in the atmosphere today. I don't think you see that, especially online. I mean, Twitter is the worst for it in the, in, in the discussion part. It's not, it's, it's actually really good, uh, in the spaces, but it's, it's very different in just the written word going back and forth. And I, I think we miss that human element. So, uh, because you were respectful, um, with, you know, the, the people you were engaging with and with me, I was like, you know, maybe this is a chance to actually have somebody on with a different worldview. So, um, tell yeah. me for, Tell me first and foremost how you got into to, you know journalism. Uh, it's a long story, but um, like I went to school for social media specifically. But while I was going to school, I had um, some, uh, I guess, issues where I was doing some kind of like ad- advocacy, I guess. And you could argue it was more left uh, wing um, advocating for people in my apartment that were in a bad situation. So I worked a lot with the media. And um, after that, I think uh, the next kind of stage was me getting into the media myself and doing my own journalism. So that's sort of how I got into what I'm doing now. So, so you started you started in college, like a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, and, and basically, I mean, is it is it a passion of yours? Is it this thing that uh, you see as a, a potential, just to you know, kind of be your own man and and kind of contribute what you want to this world? I think that's a good way of saying it. Yeah, yeah, I love uh, doing what I do. Like you know, either doing commentary, journalism, reporting. It's uh, I find it fascinating for sure. It's not it's not dull. That's for sure, especially these days, huh? Oh, for sure. Okay, so um, obviously, growing up in Ontario, uh, Toronto specifically, huh? Uh, close by. Like I'm from like southern Ontario, so uh, a little more of a rural area. But um, Toronto, like over ten years now. Okay, right. And, and are you from there originally? Um, well, like I, I lived in the area, but yeah, like I've been in Ontario my whole life. 
Okay. Okay. I just, just wondering if maybe you were a transplant for him uh, outside the area or anything. So um, yeah, I'm very interested in, in backstories and, and how people, uh, you know, get to where they are. Um, would you say growing up that you grew up in um, a, a household that was uh, more of, I don't know, say, I mean, our progressives in liberal and all that kind of stuff, you know, in terms of country and political party are, are not synonymous Would there's the people's party in Canada, which I consider libertarian, uh, classical liberal type. Um, wh- how do you do, how would you kind of describe yourself in terms of political beliefs? I'd say I'm more of a centrist. I think, um, try to look at both sides. I, I'd say, you know, uh, maybe in the months before I met you or, uh, I'd say it was more conservative, but there's been a few issues that have come up that have, I'd say I have more of a progressive viewpoint on. Okay. So, so, um, yeah, so classifying, you, classifying you as a progressive or a conservative would be inappropriate then. I, I still got so. you. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and, and that's, that's what I, you know, I, I wanted to get into this uh, just because I, I like knowing where people come from first and foremost. And I also like talking to people, um, you know, from a from a i guess kind of a, a knowledge standpoint you know is like try to establish some humanity between us um i think the first thing that i picked up on was the idea that we were talking about guns and um yeah. that i think it sounds like you hold a fairly um you know uh, i guess statist uh, is that a fair term uh, to to use you know in terms of you you believe that the monopoly on force should rest at the state See, that's an interesting question, um, and this is a little bit different. Um, I'd say that that's sort of how things work in Canada. I mean, we do have guns, but they are very restrictive, and it seems to work well. I mean, I feel quite safe. So as far as Canada goes, I'd say, sure. I mean, it's it works up here. I know with you um, in America, it's a little bit different. Um, but I'd say, yeah, in Canada, I'd say that's uh, – worked for us so yeah so so when you say it, it it has worked for you i mean recently in in the past few years uh canada's gun laws have gotten much more strict in fact they've, they've come to the point where uh they have told people that they cannot keep them in their houses they have to keep them uh locked up at ranges especially things like ar-15 uh type rifle yeah. platforms and things like that um and this was just i mean this was just a couple of years ago when when this started to come down and uh getting permission to travel uh to the range uh with these things uh to to have to go out and and use them for you know hunting and everything else people are having to jump through a lot of hoops and i imagine right now it's kind of it's a tough thing for canada or canadians huh um i would think so you know i'm, I'm not too familiar with um the whole like the, the laws around guns i mean personally i've never actually met anyone that had a gun you know that's how i've lived in canada i'm like police officers of course and people that said they've had guns but i've never actually met anyone that said you know i have collection of guns here they are kind of thing well yeah so so when you say it's worked well you know and, and I, that's what i i don't understand you know it's, it's worked well for i mean mo- most of uh canada's history you guys have been pretty you know pretty open about guns pretty you know uh laissez-faire about these in terms of uh you know having them in your homes and having ammunition and and all those type of things and you believe that maybe a, a stricter um you know, set of laws on guns is, is a good thing for a country? I think so. I mean, I, uh, the way I look at it is I just personally never had a reason to use a gun. I've, um, 
you know, I've seen some of the bad things that have happened with guns, you know, um, with school shootings and stuff. So I think that's part of the rationale why they are so restricted up here. Um, yeah. Do you, do you have any idea? I mean, I mean, here in America, we've got, you know, a, a much larger population a much more, uh, I'd say, multicultural, uh, you know, cross section of the world here. Um, and percentage wise, when we look at, you know, you know, gun deaths or incidents with guns based in, you know, no kidding, violence instead of self-harm, uh, the, the numbers are spectacularly low in terms of people killing other people with guns, especially uh, what they'll call mass shootings, which is basically, you know, two or more people. Now, not to, not that it's a bad isn't a bad thing, but it's definitely um, a minuscule part of what makes up gun violence in America. Do you, do you see it that way? Um, I'm not sure about the numbers, but I could say that, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's not as bad as um, you might think it would be in the sense that there are a lot of people that have guns and only a small percentage of people use them. I, I think that's fair. Yeah, I mean, would you agree with the idea that, I mean, there's 500 million guns in America that we actually talk about, right? And there's obviously a lot more that we don't. There's billions and billions of rounds of ammunition. And yet, you know, you don't have people, you know, going out and doing mass shootings, 99.999 plus percent of people on a daily basis kill nobody. They they use them in violence, uh, you know, practically never. Um, it's it's a few bad apples here and there that, that do those things. And I don't think any law, um, you know, obviously the laws against murdering or assaulting or kidnapping or raping or coercing it, like all of these laws that are already on the books. Um, they still don't stop those guys from, you know, taking life or being just assholes in general, right? Fair enough, yeah. Okay, so I guess, you know, when, when we started having this conversation, uh, you know, it, it seemed to me that you were you know, on the side of the government having a monopoly. Do you, do you see a problem with the, the government having, having a monopoly on, on guns and the use of force? Well, I think the argument against uh, the government having a monopoly is that um, if they become tyrannical, the people can't fight back. So I, I kind of get it with the Americans, but as far as Canada goes, it's um, yeah, it, it just hasn't been a problem, I guess. So that's just kind of where I'm coming from on that. Do, do you think, you know, right now, especially with, you know, what we're seeing out of Australia, um, uh, the, the, the crackdown on people who are protesting their government right now, uh, being abusive, making house calls, doing all sorts of, you know, just crazy invasions of privacy, uh, especially with, uh, electronics. Do, do, do you see, um, you know, where some of us would be extremely concerned with the only people having guns, uh, as the, the people who want to mandate and control others? I think that's a fair point. Okay, so I, I, I just like I, I mean, if you if you agree with me, then I mean, um, you know, where wh I guess where would you draw the line then with um, you know, gun laws, gun regulations, and all that kind of stuff? Well, I think how we crossed paths was over that video. Um, I saw a video of a kid shooting off some guns, and I said, you know, what is this madness? Um, see, that's this let, let, let's, let's let's talk about that for a second because I, yeah. I I I do think it's important, right? Um, it was this little girl, and I mean, yeah. probably no more than six years old, um, and she was wielding two pistols, uh, yeah. obviously one in each hand. And I will tell you, um, I think that's irresponsible as a gun owner. I think it's irresponsible um, because a a grown person should probably not be wielding 
two at a time. I'm not saying I want the state to come in and arrest or do anything about that, but you you did seem to think, yeah, hey, like this is madness. It it wasn't specifically the fact that she was shooting a pistol, the fact that she was wielding two. Is that correct? I think it was more of a concern about her age. You know, now that's I think my concern, and um, yeah. So, so, so you're you you have a, a trouble with somebody that young using uh, a pistol just in general? Yes. What, what if? What, okay, so ex- explain that to me. You know, girl's six, seven years old, um, and she's got somebody in her in her life that's taught her how to not not wield to uh, you know change the scenario a little bit. Just just shoot a pistol. Um, you know, is is that that's that's where you draw the line. This is a tricky one because you can make an argument if she's supervised, it's legal in the area, you know, it's a free country, then maybe. But I guess the, the way I see it is that that's just not the most productive thing. And I mean, in my opinion, I would draw the line there. I just don't think, you know, if we bumped it up maybe to 12, 14, sure. But just at that age, it just seems slightly irresponsible, but also just not a productive thing to be doing. So I, yeah, and I, I guess I ask you because you know if you get into the you know the the definition of why something should not be legal to do productivity uh, being you know w- what you're citing here you know like I don't know that that's a, a real strong case um, you know to tell somebody that hey man you know like I disagree with you and I'm going to send uh, you know the government in in uniforms and cops and badges out to your property and have you arrested and separated from your daughter. Yeah. I mean, I, w- I wouldn't go that far. I mean, I think in a perfect world, um, you know, I, I, I don't think like in theory, I would maybe say to the father, you know, Hey, I mean, this kid's a bit young and we're not going to do anything about this, but you know, maybe wait until she's a bit older. I mean, that's, a, that's a tricky one. It's a tricky one, you know, cause Yeah. Well, and and this is where I get to a lot of times, just when I speak to people who come to, you know, these arguments with the, you know, the, the, the thought that this ought to be a law and there, you know, there's obviously sayings in in my communities, like there's, there's no law that's, you know, so, uh, you know, small that a tyrant won't come and kill you over it. Right. Like it's, it's one of those things where when somebody says this, you know, this should be, you know, against the law or there should be a law. It implies that we are going to give the state, the monopoly on force to send dudes in there and correct the situation by force. So let's just say, um, you know, this guy that has a pistol that's teaching his daughter to shoot at six years old, um, says, I don't think so. Not today. You're not taking my kid away and you're definitely not taking me away to jail or prison or separating this family or doing anything here. Um, and at that point, what is the state left to do? Yeah, that's, that's a tricky one. Um, yeah, I mean, when you phrase it like that, I mean, it, it does become hard because I, I think in that scenario, like if you look at it just as a you know father training his kid on a gun, you know, nobody gets hurt, nothing happens, then you could argue that's fine, right? I think um, more of my argument was, uh, you know, I mean, if anything, it was more of a reaction, right? I mean, being in Canada, we just nothing. I've never seen that before. I've seen videos of kids with guns in other countries, and that, to be honest, I think it was the first time I ever seen a girl that young use a gun. So. 
Especially, you know, two and, you know, in the in the fashion she was using, you could tell she had had hours and hours and hours of instruction. And, and this is, a, you know, a guy that has had, you know, obviously professional training and all this kind of stuff. It's it's like okay. I, I watch that and I go, you know, so whoever is filming this and whoever is, you know, whoever has taught her, I can sit there and, and see some of the, the technique uh, and the fact that she is not recoiling from you know the, the blast or anything like that, and I'm just like, yeah, oh, this is a, this is a this is a weird, you know, I say weird. It is a unique case to say the least, and I, I do think it you know raises a lot of eyebrows. But I, I think you know if this is what comes from it, where we're discussing um, you know where government should be in situations of an armed populace, um, I think this is a great thing because maybe it gives people that are more pro gun control a little bit of pause to sit there and say, hey, you know, maybe this isn't the best use, and this could lead to a lot of unintended consequences. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. So let's move on. So I, I've seen um, some of the other posts out there. Um, you're, you don't necessarily agree with people out there in terms of refusing uh, the, the vaccines, correct? Um, that's a good question. I think to a certain degree, the government does have the right to mandate that. That's something I will agree on. Just, okay. So let, let, let's, let's unpack that a little bit. What, sure. What is the difference between power and rights, first and foremost? Power and rights. Um, like, I'm not. Uh, so, so, so I ask because you say the, the government has the right uh, to, you know, force people into vaccination. And when I when I think about vocabulary, I think it's very important for two people who are having a discussion to kind of define what terms are Um, in in America. The government was uh, allowed some powers at different levels and rights are reserved to people. It's not a it's not an aspect of the government. The the government will never have rights. In fact, it is um, by the consent of the governed that they even exist in the first place. So we, we hold power and it's in our own sovereign beings and we relinquish some power. Um, most of the time, uh, you know, in a perfect world, we'd say voluntarily, but you know, in, in this age, it's not, um, what gives, you know, them the power, I guess is my question. What, what gives government power over, you know, people to tell them what they need to do? Well, I guess my understanding, I think it's similar to Canada and the United States, is that people vote for politicians that in you know times of emergency will make a decision. So I think, um, you know, that's, I guess, sort of the, um, if you can't use the word right, sort of function of the government is that they get voted in and then they make a choice that they think represents either the people that voted for them or society as a whole. Okay, so, you know, I, I guess... I, I, this goes back to more of an esoteric understanding is are people sovereign? Uh, what do you mean by sovereign? Now, do you have control of your facilities, your, your body, this, this meat sack that we go through life with? Um, yes. Unless your actions hurt other people. Okay. The, good point. So unless your actions hurt other people, I, I, I look at this as, you know, um, a, a very 
cut and dry. Like when I consider crime, you know, a, another hurt party in the in the world, it's a few things. It's murder. It's rape. It's kidnapping. It's coercion, assault. Um, it is property damage, vandalism, things of, you know, heinous nature or destructive yeah. nature towards somebody else or their things. Um, would you agree that the state is a legal fiction? The state is a legal fiction. Um, no. No. So in America, you know, we, we obviously uh, through, you know, law and civil law and everything else, we created this legal fiction um, in, in America. Right. And, and so it can't be the hurt party in America. The you know, if somebody hurts somebody else, then, yeah, we have obviously cause for recourse and, you know, adjudication at that point. But with the you know, with a person, if you own your body and you own, you know, the facilities and the time and you're not hurting anybody, couldn't you, you know, I would argue that if, you know, somebody gets sick, can you prove who they got sick from? That's very hard to do. It is hard so to I'd do. Say, I'd say no, yeah. So it's speculation, right? <laughs> um, so yeah. if we're if we're speculating, you know, we we really don't have a case in terms of real harm. Sure. Okay. So with with that being said, if if we can't prove without a shadow of a doubt, which you know should be the case in in the burden of anybody who's accusing anybody else of getting them sick, um, then what in terms of power can the government have or can the government you know take over people uh to to inflict them with something that they don't want in their body oh when you phrase it like that i think um if you're looking at yeah solely as you know i'm a person i have autonomy on my body then i guess in that case no the government should not have the right to do that just in that if you look at it from that perspective the way i sort of see it is um my understanding with the pandemic is that i, I do believe that COVID's real and i've been vaccinated part of the reason i think other people should is because we're trying to um reduce hospitalization especially in canada because of, i mean hospitals are, are um you know like we pay for them through our taxes and on top of that i think there's also the fear that there might be um, variations of the virus or mutations of the virus that uh, could be even worse so i think there's a certain amount of pressure to get people vaccinated so that's kind of where i come from on that okay so you you believe it's more social pressure and you say we um as what the the whole of canada because it, it sounds to me like a lot of canada especially uh places out west like alberta um and and the, the, you know the western provinces it seems like there's a lot of people pushing back against this 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 idea that you can mandate vaccinations yeah, I guess when I say we, like my understanding, and uh, maybe don't quote me on this, is that the people that support vaccine passports are about 80%. So I'd say four out of five people actually do support them, and then one out of five doesn't. So um, there, there's there's a lot of opposition for sure, and we saw that with the People's Party. But on the other side, I think the majority of people actually do support these. So, it, I mean, I guess my next question is, is, you know, if, if the vaccine is effective um, and you feel like it is effective on your person. Um, what is the reason to mandate it on people that, you know, believe that either it is not effective or they just don't trust it yet? That's a good question. Um, so I guess in 
theory, if, um, you know, like I'm vaccinated, I have friends that are unvaccinated. Um, it doesn't bother me, but at the same time, um, it really depends. I think, um, you know, I think at least in Canada, I think the government does have a right to kind of push people in a direction if it's for the greater good. Right. So even though people will say that, um, you know, maybe I don't trust it, I don't trust the, um, government and those are fair points but i mean personally i find a lot of people that are opposed to the vaccine i don't know what your position on this is is that there's a lot of misinformation so that's part of the reason i've actually kind of walked back from my original opposition to the passports is that there's some people that are just misinformed and with them i feel like it's kind of the duty of society or the government or whatever to kind of pressure them and put them in the right direction at least what i think is the right direction yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, being American, um, we thought, you know, the, at least the federal government was supposed to be there for external um, circumstances only. War, peace, negotiation, foreign commerce is really what we stood up the federal government for. Obviously, uh, it has taken a, a a very large interest in the interior instead of the exterior. So um, when, when I hear people say it's for the greater good, um, w- I mean, would you agree that maybe democracy is kind of gang rape um you could you could put it that way i i I wouldn't go that far but that's that's one way of looking at it yeah i mean it is basically a majority of people telling the rest of society what they can and cannot do what their what their rights are and, and things like that would you agree with that yeah, I think, um, unfortunately, I think that's how the system works, at least in Canada. I think similar in the United States. Yeah. Would, would you, think, go ahead. Yeah. Well, I think the difference in the United States is each state has a, it can be quite different. I mean, in Canada, I think all the provinces are very similar. Down there, I think your laws can actually vary from state to state, if I'm not yeah. mistaken, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it was set up uh, where the states uh, had, you know, were supposed to have uh, control over the everyday, um, you know, life and business, right? Is is basically not that they control people's lives, but um, the the rights of the people were put intact by the Ninth Amendment and the Tenth Amendment uh, secured the powers not listed in the Constitution to the state. So um, with that being said, you know, in, in history, um, when you look at people who are mandating and, you know, removing, you know, the, the choices from people's lives, those typically haven't been good guys, have they? Um, for the most part, except I want to bring one person up. I think George Washington actually mandated vaccines for the army when they were fighting the British. So there's one example there. Yeah, um, I mean, they're... they're <sighs> Yeah, I mean, in in the care of George Washington, who also put down the Whiskey Rebellion, right? Like, if we really know history, George is part of the Federalists who, you know, formed a coup and took over the United States, or I should say the the states and, and centralized power in the Constitution to begin with. So, you know, n- maybe not the best example of, you know, somebody that's um, pro-freedom. Um, he was more or less a general and a statist and somebody who wanted to, um, you know, bring together and control uh, the states under, you know, a centralized authority to, to begin with. So, um, but okay. yeah, I, I will grant you, yes, he did inoculate or made, you know, a lot of his troops get inoculated for sure. Um, with that being said, though, I mean, if, if that's the the one, uh, you know, critical area where, you know, in history, we haven't seen people who want to control other people's lives um, as good guys throughout history, 
wouldn't it tend to kind of go in that vein now where if, you know, a centralized authority is making peaceful people criminals or, uh, you know, I guess really kind of, you know, coming up with a, a South African type of apartheid in terms of class, don't you think that's wrong? You know, honestly, if the circumstances were any different, I would agree with you. But for this one thing, if it was just this one thing, then I would say no. I'd say that, uh, you know, in, in, in the context of trying to get out of the pandemic, which I believe is still an issue, then I think this this is necessary. So, all right. So uh, let's let's it, it, uh, it's not a pandemic by definition anymore. Um, hasn't been for quite some time. Um, the. The, the the stats show. I know there there are lies and there's damn lies and then there are statistics. So, um, but I have seen on multiple occasions that people who are seventy and under with cohort uh, comorbidity, uh, you know, factored in, that the rate or you know chance that you're going to get sick and die from COVID is you know less than 0.05 percent so you have a 99.95 percent chance of survival is that something that in in history um you know we should just scrap people's rights for when you phrase it like that i I can i can kind of get it my understanding though is that i mean it does have a, a high survival rate but it still does kill people i mean um you know, I mean, in your country, I mean, I read uh, in the Associated Press, it was over 700,000 people, right? So it, even though it doesn't kill everybody, it still, you know, has translated to a, quite a few deaths. But it's actually in line with every other year. We had a one one hundredth of a thousand uptick last year uh, in total deaths in America. And that's it. You would think, uh, and, and, you know, Bill Maher was saying this the other night, uh, that, you know, the people on the progressive side in America and the, and the liberals thought it, it was at least 50, 50, uh, or over even 20% at the, at, at a 70% mark. So 70% of progressives and Democrats thought if you were infected with COVID, there was either a, you know, a 50, 50 chance at, you know, uh, of going to the hospital. Um, and that just, that doesn't seem right when we're talking about less than a percentage, you know, probably a fraction of a percent that if you do get sick, that you are going to be hospitalized and possibly die. Um, yeah, I'm not too sure about those numbers, but yeah, I mean, it's a tricky one because I think you're right that the, the survival rate from the virus is extremely high, but at the same time, my understanding is that there are at least some reasons why they want to uh, put these restrictions on people. So that's why I do support them to a certain degree. I mean, I was against lockdowns. I didn't like the lockdowns. So I think that's where me and a lot of the conservatives, at least in Canada, saw eye to eye. The, the other restrictions, personally, just to me, just never seemed quite like a big deal. And that's just, I guess that's been my position for a while now. All right. Yeah, so, so you're willing to concede that, you know, because there is such a high survival rate, especially amongst, you know, younger people under 70 that are not obese or have diabetes or hypertension or something like that, that, you know, or even with that, you're factored in that you're not very likely to, to be hospitalized or die. I can agree with that. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I wonder, you know, you know, in, in terms of your, uh, support for the state narrative that really uh, we've seen a tremendous amount of money pushed into the 
what I'll call propagandizing this vaccine and an absolute uh, tyrannical and coordinated fascist type of um, reaction to anybody that, you know, either denies the official narrative or says contrary and then shows their work on social media. Have you guys seen the same thing or are you in agreement with it? What, what do you think? Um, I think I will agree to, um, you know, I think with Pfizer, I mean, this is obviously a billion dollar company. Uh, they have a lot of money. So, I mean, of course they're, they're pushing this very hard and, um, you know, and I, I will agree there has been like a demonization of people that don't want to get it. I, I think with me, I think it's more of an online thing. I mean, when you're battling online, it kind of forces you to take a position in real life. I feel like I'm a little more, um, easygoing in the sense that like I have friends that are unvaccinated. I had a beer with a friend last week and it's not something where I'm going to stop talking to him because of it or really say too much to him. But, you know, online, I think, you know, you do see that. And I think part of that is just how the online space works. So, I mean, it does have the propaganda element. It does have just the, just, you know, the factors of how the internet works in general or social media. Yeah. So, I mean, you're, I guess maybe you have, maybe you haven't heard of, uh, quite a few of the very reputable doctors that have testified in front of Congress on C-SPAN about the uh, efficacy of ivermectin being off-level and, or I should say off-label in this and having surprisingly great uh, results in not only, you know, uh, sending people home who catch COVID with it, but uh, as a precursor to possibly ever getting it. Um, I'm not aware of that. My understanding was that um, Evermectin didn't work, but, you know, I mean, if it, if it did work, I'd be for it. I mean, if it, you know, if it if it was a fact that you could take Evermectin um, and it would prevent COVID or treat you for COVID, then I'd support it. I just don't think that's the case. Then that's based on what I've seen. Have you, have you seen these doctors that I'm referring to that have been suppressed and silenced and, you know, removed from, you know, whether it's Twitter or YouTube, have you, have you seen this happening or is it one of those things that kind of doesn't show up in your circles? Um, it, it has happened um, in Canada, but it's very infrequent. I feel like a lot of the fact checkers or whatever you want to call them usually target America more. They're not really focused uh, on Canada as much. So we do see it sometimes, but it's very few and far between up here. Do, do you think that's problematic in, in a day and age of information is where you have coordination between the state and uh, social media groups? Um, yeah, yeah, I do. I think there are times, I mean, I'm not sure the degree of coordination between the state and social media, but I think overall that's an issue. But I think there are some times where it is a public interest to, uh, cut off people that can verifiably be spreading misinformation or disinformation about important health um, facts, especially if they're a doc or someone of status. I think it's very important for them, you know, to spread accurate information. So I think there's a bit of wiggle room. I think mostly with the social media companies because it's their platform to kind of censor and put their foot down somewhere. Yeah, I, I, I wish they would just leave it all up and let the market kind of decide on what's good, what's bad, instead of, you know, I guess, putting the authority and the monopoly of force behind it from the government, right? It seems like kind of a, a, a recipe for disaster, especially when you look at, you know, the, the, 
the history, you know, there's a, a famous saying that when uh, when buying and selling is legislated, the first thing that is bought and sold are legislators, uh, which means that obviously if, if we're talking about regulations coming down from government, that the, you know, the, the people in those industries will do whatever they can to control uh, the people or buy the people for favorability in terms of how they can, you know, work in a market. You think that's, I mean, problematic? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Okay. I never, I've never heard that concept before, but um, yeah, I think there's some issues there. Yeah, so I mean, in this case, if we've got you know a industry and in terms of pharmaceuticals, which let's face it, you know they pay. Uh, billions and billions. I think it's twice as much. It's, it's kind of like uh, when you compare the U.S. military to the next two closest uh, military spenders, right? It's, it's ridiculous how much we spend on the military. It's you know twice as much as anybody else um, sometimes combined. So when when we look at you know pharmaceuticals going out there and spending twice as much as any other industry for you know favorability in in Congress, and then you see the 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 absolute control that they've had in terms of the CDC being a bureaucracy, especially here in the states, the WHO overseas, like NIH for you guys, is that correct? Um, no, I think NIH is um, England. England. It's uh, Health Canada. Okay, so yeah. Yeah. So, you know, in, in every country, uh, including, you know, Australia, uh, we, we've seen um, all of this play out in a very heavy handed way where the the social media is, uh, you know, working with the government who is a lot of times uh, co- co-opted uh, and paid for by big pharma is, I mean, does does that narrative, you know, ring true with you? I think, you know, it's funny. I mean, I, I think I've raised genuine concerns with Big Pharma before and censorship. And I think it really depends on the circumstance. Like where I'm coming from with the pandemic, this is maybe one of those few times where I would actually make an exception to that. Um, but in general, I mean, we have the same issue. I don't know if you heard about Bill C-10, Bill C-36. They haven't been passed yet in Canada, but the government essentially wants to regulate the Internet. And that's something that I oppose. But, um, you know, when it comes to, I mean, this is a tricky one. I mean, this is maybe the one exception I will make for Big Pharma just because of the circumstances. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, fair enough. You, you've, you've answered it that way. And, you know, I, I obviously disagree, but, you know, that's, you know, I, I just, I see it as a, uh, I, I see it as open and, and, and suspect in a year where, you know, we have had more control out of quote unquote science uh, and the pharmaceutical companies that are getting, you know, literally billions and billions of dollars. Uh, well, a lot of information on uh, Nobel Prize winning drugs have been suppressed. So I don't know, j- just just my take. So um, are are you tracking um, the, uh, you know, the I, I guess, you know, for the, the, a lack of, you know, better understanding is the, the the lockdowns and the complete censorship in Australia right now. To be honest, um, not that much. I haven't really followed Australia for that. I've been following Canada, but I haven't followed that too closely. 
Yeah, I mean, in, in Australia right now, we're seeing you know it, they're they're turning to violence. You know, they, they they've it's kind of like their their test case gone wrong, um, and they're getting they're they're absolutely getting found out, and people are pushing back. You've got workers all over the place uh, not going to work, going into uh, yeah. the the government centers and protesting the government, and sometimes uh, getting into altercations. Now, media is being shut down. Uh, they are going in and uh, you know having people report and show pictures with geolocation and everything of where they're at and everything. Um, do you, do you think that's where this leads? See, that's a, that's a good point, you know, and I think people are drawing parallels between what's happening in Australia and what's happening in general with the social credit thing in China. Um, is this where it's leading? I think this is where it, it, it could go. I mean, I think you have a point there. What Australia is doing based on what you said, based on the, little bit that I know is that that's way too far. I mean, people, you know, being geolocated to have having that kind of control is way too far. I mean, with me, I've always been against the lockdowns. Uh, with the other restrictions, not as much, but I, I think I mean, we might see eye to eye on the lockdowns. I think we might both say that's uh, an infringement of civil liberties. That's an example of when the government's going too far. So, um, you know, definitely what's happening in Australia, I will say is, is too far. And I guess it, it, it's, a, it's a possibility of what could happen. So I will agree that we need to be careful. However, I'm just not convinced it'll get that bad in Canada based on what okay. I've seen. Well, I, I, I just see such similarities between, you know, all, all three countries, honestly, and, and, you know, a lot of the, the countries around the world that um, for a long time, you know, to our first discussion have talked about, you know, how America is the only civilized country in the world that doesn't have, you know, more strict gun um, you know, regulations. And here we are, um, you know, with some of the freest places on earth right now in terms of the ability to move around without masks, without vaccines and, and all that kind of thing. So I, I just, I see a, a lot of parallels and similarities and obviously stark contrast as to why the government has been able to do the things they've done um, down in Australia. Now, um, with with all that being said, you, you know, you said you were against the lockdowns, mask mandates, for against i i'm i'm for them actually can you tell me tell me why you're you're for mass mandates because i don't understand it to save my life sure um i've never personally found it to be that big of a deal it makes me feel more, more comfortable it makes others feel more comfortable i live in a pretty metro area like i live in one of the densest areas in toronto in the country and it's just you know, especially in the early days of the pandemic being around people that weren't wearing masks and stuff it, it was difficult because, you know, I do believe it. it is real. And even though I'm not super at risk, it's, I think it was more of a comfort thing in addition to reducing the spread. So that's why, you know, I, I've seen it as a small price to pay to curb the virus. That's just always been my position. Yeah, well, okay. So in terms of the efficacy of masks, I mean, um, I'm one of those guys that happened to go through nuclear biological chemical training. So when okay. we were trained um, for all of these different types of warfare and attacks, you know, we had to go through a lot of drills and we had to go through training where we got, you know, gassed and everything else. And, um, oh, wow. the, the idea where, you know, um, you know, we were, we were taught that, you know, when we're, we're, we're dealing with viral contagions that you've got to be in mop level four, which is a complete bodysuit. And it is a respirator that covers your entire face. That's why a lot of the military is clean shaven um, so that you get a proper seal on a gas mask. And that gas mask is rated for everything from nuclear to viral contagions uh, to uh, biologicals. And so it's, it's 
it's a strange thing for me to sit back and watch as the the military and everybody else who understands you know the the particulate size of a uh, a, a tiny you know micron size virus you know put you know pieces of cloth on their face yeah i, I mean I, I can see it like that my understanding is that you know they're not 100 percent uh effective but what does happen is uh like some of your saliva if you're spitting or whatever it's coming up through the air will stay in the mask so i'm not sure the percentage but i i believe that you know it's not 100 percent uh but have, it have you seen it's it's airborne, right? So have you seen anybody like take a rip on a, on a vape and then blow it right back out through the same mask and it just goes everywhere? I've seen that. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it's the saliva that it's picking up, but most of the time you're not spitting on anybody, right? Like you're not spitting on people. I'm not spitting on people. And honestly, when I see people sneeze or cough into these things, a lot of times they pull their mask down and then sneeze or cough and then put it back up. Fair point. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a weird thing for somebody to watch and go, Oh no, we've, we know about masks. We, th- this isn't new. We've done studies on masks and everything else. And we've got a whole segment of the population who's gone through training for such a thing to have it pushed on everybody. Um, you know, for me, it just, it seems more about control and the idea that, you know, it's, 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 pushing people away from other people in in this you know in this meat sack in this life um you know we are going to get sick and you know as a lot of people have said coronavirus is never going away is that is that kind of your understanding at this point now is we have animal reservoirs um i'm not sure about the animal reservoir part but um yeah i I don't yeah i think coronavirus kind of like the flu or any of these other viruses is gonna keep coming around um You know, I mean, I think we might have to agree to disagree with the mask, but I think the way I've always seen it is that, you know, my biggest priority, um, you know, in terms of activism or, you know, just speaking out was the lockdowns, right? So I always say, okay, you know, if someone told you you had to wear a mask, but we're not going to do the lockdowns, I've always seen that as being the preferable choice. So I, I believe in doing the, I guess, the least amount of, as possible to reduce uh, civil liberties. But at the same time, still doing something to prevent against the virus. That's so, where I come from. Would it be? Would would you would you trust your fellow man and woman um, to do this on a personal scale? So let's just say it's it's not the state. Anybody but the state. You want to have a mask mandate in your house. You want to have a mask mandate in your business. You want to wear a mask wherever you go. That's fine. Um, but as soon as it is mandated again by the state, do you see that as a problem? No. Oh, just for that specifically. If lockdowns, I would draw the line. The masks, just to me, I think are the smaller one, the smaller issue out of all the other issues. Okay, so I'm going to come back to you know my 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 million dollar question in all of this. You know, is there ought to be a law. You know, if there ought to be a law, are you saying it's okay for the government to use their monopoly on force to go up and harass and cage and potentially kill somebody who is not going to comply with the mask mandate? That's a good question. Um, See, personally, I, I don't think that would work. I mean, and that's an example of something where I think it should be regulated, but, you know, as far as putting people in jail, um, Maybe not so much. Maybe um, 
I'm not even sure how you would deal with that, but even maybe a uh, fine if it was, um, you know, depending on the circumstances. So then it's I not think- actually about safety. Then it's about money. Because if he was really a threat, right? If there, if he was really a threat to his fellow human beings, you know, if you just gave him a fine, is that just saying, hey, isn't it just about money then? Well, it would be a penalty that wouldn't um, go as far as, um, you know, putting someone in jail. Because, I mean, it's a tricky one because there might be circumstances where someone doesn't have COVID and they're around people that would otherwise be okay. So I'm not sure that's something that is deserving of putting someone in jail, but it is deserving of saying, hey, you know, I think we want you to wear a mask. And since we can't put you in jail for this, we are going to hit you with a small fine. So, you know, I, I guess, is it okay then to uh, penalize poor people more then? Because let's face it, you know, rich people who don't want to wear masks, you're going to be like, I don't give a damn about your fine versus, a, you know, somebody that doesn't have the money. Doesn't that hit poor people harder? Sure. But I think, unfortunately, it's always like that in society, right? Especially, um, you know, should it be though? I mean, I mean, that, that, that's the thing is, like, I mean, we're talking about, you know, not having a two-tier type justice system where everybody kind of plays by the same rules. I mean, if it's okay to, uh, you know, segregate populations and have a two-tier justice system, you know, I, I wouldn't think that's what what you were for. This is a tricky one. I mean. I think in theory, I would support um, a one-tier justice system. I think just the nature of the way things work, whether it's Canada, the United States, Australia, is that we do sort of have a two-tier system, um, you know, where rich people do, um, you know, to a certain degree, can kind of apply the law, and um, poor people kind of get shafted. I mean, I'm not saying I support that. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I have to think about that one a bit more. You know. Well, yeah, I, I would. You know, like I said, you know, is anytime there's a mandate or a law or something where we give the monopoly on force, the green light to contact, possibly harass or, you know, cage. And if they resist hard enough, kill them. I, I think that is, you know, one of those things that I don't think most people consider when we're when we say this is what the government should be doing. This is, you know, where the government should be using our money and our, you know, in, in a time where a lot of things are going very wrong. It's like, why are we going to do this to a, a person who's really not hurting anybody? He's, he's a peaceful person. Um, you know, he's just choosing not to walk around with a mask that he doesn't find any efficacy in. And I think when you put it like that, it sounds fair. I, um, you know, this is a tricky one. I think with uh, the mandates, it is a really tricky one. Because, for example, in Canada, I have to look into this. Based on what I know, I don't think anyone has actually been charged just for not wearing a mask. There, there is usually some other reason that they were um, given a ticket. So, like, this is a real tricky one because I think, you know, I mean, as bad as things have gotten perceptibly, is we haven't got to the point where the police are actually going around giving people tickets just for that. It's usually the most egregious examples. And kind of like I said, it's a, it's a ticket. It's very rare that someone will get arrested. Um, you know, this is a really tricky one. I think, um, you know, it's, it's hard. I mean, where I stand is that, you know, it's that the pandemic is real. That's just the way I see it. And that, you know, at a certain point, the government does have to pressure people or, you know, push people into a direction that can reduce that. So, you know, I'm not sure how you would do that. I'm not uh, having to think about that a bit more. Uh, I, okay. I'm mean, fair enough. I just see it as a giant waste of tax money and way too much power uh, for any bureaucrat or you know, you know what we consider murderers and thieves here in the United States in terms of politicians to have control over. So, um, you know, I, I, 
we'll move on. Um, we're, we're coming up on an hour already. It's uh, we're already 52 minutes into this discussion. Um, I saw you go after my buddy Zuby the other day and talk about how he is a, a, a huckster and a scam artist. And I was just like, Oh man, that is a really, really hard take on, on my man Zuby. Um, yeah, for, I think what I said was a little more nuanced than that. I, um, if I, if that was exactly what I said, I think what happened was, um, I, I called him out. Uh, I did a quote tweet where I said something about, um, you know, 700,000 people dead in the United States. And, um, you know, but some people just don't want to do anything about it. He responded to that. And then I made a video where I called him out. And then I think later on, I did pull up some, uh, it was, it, was in, it was an article where I think uh, he claimed he's a woman and uh, actually beat the uh, or set the world record for women's weightlifting. So I think what I said is that he has a history of, um, I guess, what I would consider sort of maybe unscrupulous or maybe maybe not the best way of getting attention sort of tactics. That's more or less what I said. But, you know, um, I mean, I didn't realize you guys were acquainted at all. I mean, the thing with Zuby is like, I mean, I'm not trying to say he's a bad person. I think he's probably a decent dude. But, um, you know, I think what you're getting from this conversation is I do completely disagree with his stance on COVID and um, uh, quite a few things he says. Absolutely. Oh, I mean, he, he, he's very much in line with, you know, where I'm at with COVID. I, I think it's uh, mostly uh, been done through fear. I, I think it's, you know, they've used tons and tons and tons of money to uh, to shut a lot of people up and promote a, a single source issue uh, from a lot of really terrible people on this planet that have no um, medical degrees like, you know, the Bill Gates guy, uh, you know, that's that guy who what they have trouted out all the time during this quote unquote pandemic who, you know, thinks the earth is overpopulated to begin with and thinks everybody should get a vaccine. Like, I mean, we've got a history of, you know, government doing things like MK Ultra, uh, especially up there in Canada. And we've, you know, the, the Tuskegee experiments down here, uh, other, you know, syphilis type in, uh, inoculations in Central and South America that they've, they've stuck people with. I mean, doesn't he have pretty good reason to feel like this is just a giant ploy to enrich and, you know, give more control to the, the pharmaceutical companies? See, I think multiple things can be true at the same time. I mean, when you, when you bring up the, uh, the history there, I will acknowledge that. Yeah. There's, um, off the top of my head, I can't remember. There have been times where the government has done this with inoculations, vaccines, where that they have had problems. Um, something with the, the maldehyde or something like that. So, I mean, I can kind of get where he's coming from. And now I talk to you, I think I do, uh, I do see the other side a little better than maybe I did before talking. So I get where he's coming from, but at the same time, I just, you know, I just disagree. You know, I, I do disagree. And this, like, I want to make it clear that I'm not attacking him as a person. I think, you know, outside this, he's probably a nice guy. Um, but just on what he's saying with the mask and stuff, I, I, I do disagree quite strongly. Yeah. So, I mean, basically, you know, what we've been talking about this whole time is the monopoly on force and government is okay with you uh, to, to force mandates to, you know, possibly hate, you know, take people and, and, and put them in cages and um, if they resist hard enough, you know, kill them. And, and that's, that's where, he, that's where he gets to. And that's where I get to with, with all of this is just, you know, the monopoly on force is, you know, something that we believe is, you know, absolutely wrong. And, 
you guys kind of just say some things here and there um, about, you know, this, this is something we believe in and something the state should have power, right? In, I mean, this is tricky. I mean, I think you're making a good point with the uh, use of forests. You know, I mean, I don't, I think, you know, the different levels of um, infractions would warrant a different response in the sense that, you know, do I believe the government should have the monopoly to force people to wear masks? Maybe not so much with that one, but I do believe there are mechanisms that you can deal with. I mean, the mask thing, I think, especially at this point, is kind of secondary. Um, where I'm kind of focused is more with the vaccines and I do believe that the government does have the right to, uh, you know, mandate the vaccines and stuff like that. Um, you know, are they, so, do they have the right so, to come to So what other right do they have to manipulate your body? Do they have the right to rape people? No. Why? Well, because that would, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily see taking a vaccine on the same level as rape. I see Why? the same. Well, because, um, well, I mean, rape is, you know, I, I think there's a reason why the government would want to get people vaccines. I don't think there's a the need or a reason for the government to rape people. Well, let's, well, just let's just say, in, in, you know, for for argument's sake, um, it doesn't matter, right? Reason, no reason um, behind the government. Uh, I mean, is is rape not akin to having having you know autonomy over your own being? Does the government have the right to you know insert something into your body and 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 rape somebody? Well, I think my understanding is that the government, you know, they can't come to your door and force you to take it, but they can say, you know, if you're employed by the government and you haven't been vaccinated, then we have to let you go, which I think is slightly different than, um, you know, rape or um, that concept. And I think that's more of a kind of a peaceful kind of way of dealing with it. Do you do you think they have the right in the private sector to, to mandate through business that their employees have vaccinations? Um. You know, I think with the private sector, then no, I think it should be up to the companies to do that. In, in theory, I think that would be more, more, we would be okay, I think. But as far as the government goes, I think they do have the right to do that, at least with their own companies. Oh, you mean, you know, I mean, their own, at their own organizations. So government has the, the, the power to tell their own organizations, you must be vaccinated to work here. But that's where you draw the line. I think that makes sense. Yeah. And anything that's controlled or regulated by the government, I think, would make sense. Are there any exceptions to that rule, even within the government? Well, if, if, I think, you know, if someone can prove that they've had COVID and now they're immune, that would be one thing. So um, an antibody tests? Yeah, yeah that would be fine. Um, you know, I think religious exemptions, if people could demonstrate they had a religious exemption, then sure. And I think that's what we're doing in Canada as well. And uh, or if people, you know, if their doctor says, hey, you know, taking a vaccine is not going to help you, it's not a good idea. And they had some proof of that. And those, those are some of the exceptions I could live with. OK, well, I mean, I mean, I, you know, I can at least meet you part of the way on all that. And, and, I, and that's I, I think that's a probably a good place to leave the conversation. Um, I want you to plug anything, uh, you know, if, if people want to find you out there on Twitter or anywhere else, where can they, uh, they help you out? Okay, so um, yeah, Mark Slipinski on Twitter or Toronto ninety nine News, um, and then the website Toronto ninety nine dot com, and um, even if just googling Mark Slipinski, most of my material will come up. 
cool. Hey, Mark, uh, you've been really great uh, to have on the show. It's honestly the first time I've had anybody on uh, from, I, I would say, maybe center. Um, uh, I've, you know, I've had people on from the extreme right, and I've had uh, you know quite a few of those guys because they, they want to okay. come in and, uh, and, and do battle. But uh, you're the first for um, more of the, the centrists, maybe – some progressive, um, you know, standpoints. And I really, I I appreciate the conversation. I I appreciate that it stayed civil um, and uh, just kind of your ability to kind of work through this. And I I think it's what this world needs a heck of a lot more of brother. For sure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Everybody, Mark Slipinski, go check him out on Toronto99.com. Talk to you later, Mark. Yeah. Take care. So ladies and gents, here we are. Um, I, you know, like conversations with the, uh, you know, people who don't see eye to eye with us and, and sometimes see completely uh, different, uh, you know, angles with government. A lot of times I think when you have just a normal conversation with them, uh, you can have, you know, breakthroughs. I think there's some things that maybe uh, Mark is reconsidering tonight. I think um, to be able to to talk about, you know, the monopoly of force with a guy, with somebody that believes in mandates uh, from a government, you know, to, to take that to its final end and kind of show them the path of how you get to a real place of tyranny um, is, is such a creative practice. And, uh, you know, this I don't know, screaming at each other on Twitter and having these, you know, conversations. I think it's great for sharpening good arguments. I think it is absolutely uh, destructive to people, obviously, who are still uh, kind of trapped in the Republican Democrat, you know, uh, paradigm, especially here in America. You know, obviously outside the, the country, um, you get a little more discussion and a little less heated hatred. But um, for the most part, you know, I was, I was very pleased with this conversation. I think uh, it exposes some things. And I think, uh, you know, uh, there were some good takeaways from it. But uh, it's something that, you know, if you guys know people who are more on the left, then it can have a, a decent conversation and bring them to this. Um, man, I'm, I'm all about having this stuff done. Um, I I think later in the week, um, I'm going to have Jason Stapleton on the show. If not this week, next week, uh, I imagine. Uh, congratulations, Jason. Uh, Jason's just uh, married, and uh, I talked to him a little earlier today. I said, hey, man, I'm probably going to need to reschedule your show, huh? And he said, yeah, uh, I'm gassed, man, from, from a long weekend. So at any rate, um, we'll do that. And I do want to talk to you guys about my experience on TimCast. A lot of you guys have a lot of questions. Uh, obviously, uh, my social media – and email and everything else because of that show uh, blew up and man, I mean, what a, what a blessing. And I know that there's some of you guys that are angry uh, about how that went down. Let me tell you, um, don't be angry about it. Listen, uh, I've got great new connections. Uh, there's amazing stuff happening in the background. And, you know, if, if this is the trajectory because of people like you who are going out there, um, liking, subscribing, sharing, and and sending me stuff to talk about. You guys are absolutely a phenomenal group of people. And I am, like I say all the time, I'm, I'm just blessed that you guys spend time with me. Uh, and we have an audience like this. So thank you guys for uh, sh- liking, sharing, subscribing, all that fun stuff. Um, we will figure out what the schedule is going to be later in the week, probably a Wednesday show. Um, if you're a listener and you are going down to see Bill Burr this week, then maybe I'll see you down at the show. But uh, until then, 
until next time, I hope you guys have a great week. I love you. I need you. Peace. Um, don't hurt people and don't take their stuff.